Hello and welcome to the Deeper Eye podcast. I am Lara Ferris, your host. For many years, I have been passionate about self-improvement. Through this, I have met the best specialists in their field who have given me tools and the courage to pursue a new path. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you everything I have learned through the conversations I have had with these amazing people. I hope these conversations will impact your life as they did to mine. Today is episode four of the series, What Do We Want Our Children to Know? My guest is Andrew Wallace, the amazing wizard. Andrew Wallace will be talking to us about authenticity, the nature of authenticity. Why are we so afraid of authenticity? And how can we just be authentic and vulnerable without feeling bullied and judged for it? And so much more. Looking forward to my conversation with Andrew. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Today is episode four of the series, What Do We Want Our Children to Know? Today's episode, we are going to concentrate on the nature of authenticity, which is great for me. Thank you for choosing this title and subject, Andrew, because this is one of the most important message I would love my own children to receive. Why and how being authentic can serve them in life And most importantly, I would like if you can spend a bit of time on explaining why being authentic and vulnerable is often seen as a weakness and how do you deal with people, because most of them probably are this way, that use your authentic way of thinking, your authentic way of acting in life, what do you do with them when they use it against you to perpetuate bullying, for example. Good morning, Lara. (laughs) So um, it's a wonderful subject, and uh, I often say this, but I believe it passionately to be true of today's subject, that I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around authenticity and what it is to be authentic. And for me, very simply, authenticity is being exactly what is, being exactly what is. We often talk about how the mind spends a lot of time arguing with what is. And if we're willing to watch our mind as we go through the day, we do start arguing and trying to change what is, which is insane because it it is already as it is. And it's a little bit the same with authenticity. Authenticity is being aligned with what is. And some people, it's not the only sort of definition, but some people differentiate authenticity from integrity by saying that authenticity is essentially being true to who we are Mm -hmm. and what we believe, whereas integrity is being true to a set of principles that are external to ourselves. So often integrity is linked with some sort of moral code or religious code or something outside of us. But that's just one definition. Authenticity 
is about being who we really are. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, you touched on this in the opening. There's been a lot of research. I don't have the details in my head. Although I think there was a, a major study in 2008 by somebody called Wood. But there's there's been a lot of research that shows that people who live authentically or more authentically report having greater happiness, more positive emotions, better relationships and better self-esteem. So there's definitely research that links authenticity to people being in the world in a better way. Mm -hmm. And the other thing to say, I always like to think about the root or the etiology of a word. And, and authenticity comes from a Greek word, authentes, which is really a link between two words. The first word is autos, A-U-T-O-S, autos, which is the self. And the second word is hentes, H-E-N-T-E-S, which is being. So it's really self-being. It's acting with one's own authority or acting with who we really are. And I thought, if I may, I would talk to you about a story that is a real story that you've heard me probably say before, mm -hmm. but is a wonderful example of authenticity. Yeah. And I often talk about it as an example of prayer. But I met many, many years ago, I met this Indian man who was a devout Hindu yeah. in southern India. Mm -hmm. And I met him at a, a retreat center in, in India. Mm -hmm. And he told the story. He was a brain surgeon and he was one of the top brain surgeons in Chennai. And Chennai Hospital was the top hospital in India for brain surgery. And he'd never had a patient die in all the time he'd been working there. And so his reputation built and built. Yeah. And as his reputation built, he had more and more difficult patients referred to him. One day he had this 34-year-old man brought in from a road accident yeah. that had been in a very serious accident and he went into surgery and I think he was in theatre for 18 hours or something with a whole team of doctors. Yeah. And before he undertook any surgery, he would pray um, and he would pray during surgery and he would pray after surgery. So once the young man was taken to the post operative room the surgeon went down on his knees and he prayed lord this is a young man it would be terrible for him not to fulfill his life please save this man yeah and he went away and he he came back a couple of hours later and the dials above this man's bed had slightly deteriorated mm -hmm. and he fell to his knees again and he said lord this man has young children and a young wife, and surely you will not deprive these children of their father. Yeah. And he went away again and came back an hour later, and this man was critical. He was right on the edge of life and death. And this doctor, this surgeon, fell to his knees, and he sort of slightly screamed out. He said, Lord, if this man dies, my reputation will be in shatters. No one will trust me again, mm. blah, 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 blah. And as he got up from his knees, 
that the dials, the medical dials above the bed started to improve and the man lived happily ever after, as far as we know. (laughs) What I love about this story, it's a story about prayer, but it's a story about authenticity, that whether you believe in God or not, if there is a God, God knows everything. He knows our conscious mind, our unconscious mind. He knows what we're thinking, et cetera, et cetera. So this idea that we pretend in our conversations with God, we pretend to be something we're not, is farcical. And yet we all find ourselves doing that. And the moment that this man was willing to be authentic with himself, his real motive in wanting this man to live was his own reputation. Now, you might call that selfish, you might call it self-centered, but it was authentic. When he voiced that authentic concern, that authentic anxiety, that is when grace, or whatever you want to call it, divine energy, that is when grace entered in. Mm. Because for me, whatever you call uh, divine energy or grace or universal energy, that universal energy flows where there is authenticity. Yeah, yeah. Can you just talk two minutes about the difference between integrity and authenticity? So integrity is when you you follow like your moral values so many people make this distinction in academia in ethics if you study ethics this is the standard distinction that they will make they say that authenticity is being true to my being who i am and integrity is following a set of principles like the ten commandments or yes you know praying to mecca twice a day or, you know, following a set of a creed or a set of principles around honesty or truth or kindness. or So that's a sort of standard distinction. I don't agree with that totally because integrity, again, comes from a word integra, which is Latin, which means wholeness. Mm-hmm. So really integrity to me is coming to a state of wholeness. And in that sense, it does share something important Mm -hmm. with authenticity because it's really about being willing to be authentically myself. And we talked last time, I think, Lara, when we talked about the last two podcasts, actually, the way we operate in the world is we split off from a part of ourselves. It might be anger, it might be dishonesty, and we project that onto other people. So authenticity is being willing to acknowledge that I am dishonest, that I am mean-spirited, that I am dishonest. You know, I, I used to say to people a few years ago, I used to, and it always used to shock clients particularly, but I used to say, I'm more dishonest now than I was 10 years ago. And that is not strictly true. The truth is, I'm more aware of my dishonesty now than I was 10 years ago. So, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago now, I used to wake up every morning and I used to commit myself to authentic living. It was very, very important to me to put a lot of energy and attention, a lot of awareness into being authentic. And when you do that, one of two things happen. Either you repress what is aligned with authenticity because it doesn't fit what you're trying to do, and that's the most common reaction, or you suddenly see inauthenticity everywhere in yourself. 
And, and those are the only two responses in my experience. And so we're all dishonest. I'm dishonest. I often sit in a group and somebody says, I'm the most honest person I know. And I always think to myself privately, you're probably the most dishonest person in the room. So basically what you're saying is that when you say I'm dishonest, talking about yourself, what you're saying is I acknowledge that I could be dishonest. Like I, you don't refuse this part of dishonesty that could be you at some point or one day or with any thought of your, you know, thinking. Correct. Yeah. And so to, to, just to give you a little few examples of that, I often find myself, if I'm telling a story as to why I was late or why I didn't do, I often find myself exaggerating the situation to make it into a better yeah. excuse. I used, I used to do that in a compulsive way. I try to stick to the truth now, but I do sometimes. That's a form of dishonesty. Equally, sometimes we all have levels of self-delusion. So sometimes I convince myself that I'm doing something for someone out of pure authenticity or giving. And then I find a few hours later or a few days later, actually, there was a hidden motive underneath the motive I was telling myself. So, you know, some of this is very subtle. Some of it is very obvious. Yeah. And often in a relationship, if a relationship is a little bit volatile, I was talking to someone last week and they said, you know, my husband lies to me about such and such. I said, okay, so what happens if he tells the truth. And, and she said, well, I react really badly. I lose it. So I said, well, if every time I told my wife something, she started shouting at me, I'd probably lie, yeah. lie about yeah. it, you know. Yeah. So what we're talking about here, and this is really important for authenticity, is authenticity is being aware of my dishonesty. It's being aware of my meanness. It's not encouraging me or giving me permission to be dishonest or to be mean. Some people, wrongly in my view, they go around being nasty to people on the misconceived banner of authenticity yeah. it's not so you know if i feel myself being nasty and so i start being nasty to you and other mm. people that's not authenticity so we need to distinguish mm. between inner awareness and outer expression so it's the inner awareness yeah. of my dishonesty of my meanness of my nastiness of my my envy you know envy is a really strong yes. energy yes in the universe and there was someone recently who is 96, a chap called Charlie Munger, and he said, he's a businessman, and he said, you know, the world doesn't run on greed, the world runs on envy. Really caught my attention there. And it's very difficult to be aware of our envy because a lot of it is unconscious. So the invitation with authenticity is being willing to be aware of my true self. It's not necessarily saying express that the moment you become aware of it. So if I become aware of anger, you know, sometimes I might become aware of a rage yeah. that comes up in me. It's not saying, you know, dump that on the first person that comes along 
or shout and scream at someone and saying, oh, I'm being authentic. Yeah. I, I feel all this rage. Such a good that point, would, of course. That would be a real yeah. uh, travesty yeah. of what we're trying to yeah. talk about here. It's about, so part of the awareness and part of the authenticity is to say, I feel this rage and it's disproportionate to what's happening right now. And this is old rage. This is, yeah. I've been triggered by something Part of the authenticity, it might be to say to someone, I feel all this rage, I know it's disproportionate to what just happened, yeah. and I need to take a moment to process it. It's to do with stuff that happened 40, 50 years ago. So when socially you uh, are not often very authentic because of fear of being judged, of being seen very weak or unsuccessful of I'm trying to think of reasons why we would be not authentic socially what would you say about this uh, one one of the things that I realized many years ago is if you take something like arrogance yeah um, arrogance is an energy so for me a hundred percent of all arrogance is a compensation for inadequacy hundred percent Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like jealousy. 100% of jealousy is a response to insecurity. So yeah. if we stay with arrogance, you know, people find it easier to walk into a room and to feel superior, to be arrogant, than to walk into a room and say to people, I'm feeling really inadequate. I don't feel I belong here. I don't feel I'm as good as other people. So the reason yeah. we would not be authentic about our inadequacy, it's a kind of uncomfortable place to be. Mm-hmm. And for many people, not all people, but for many people, certainly for me, you know, arrogance is more comfortable than inadequacy. And that applies to a whole range of different emotions. Some people, you could say the same about, you know, anyone who is being superior they are always compensating for inferiority. And, and none of us really like to admit that we're feeling inferior. But when we do, and I've experimented with this many times over the years, when in a social situation we acknowledge our inadequacy or our inferiority, something wonderful happens because it gives other people permission to do the same. Mm. And when you're in a small group of people, It's amazing how it opens up a conversation that would otherwise not happen. Now, you mentioned in the introduction, Lara, what you do if somebody takes your vulnerability Mm. and uses it as a weapon against you. And the only real answer to that is don't hang around them. You know, it's like (laughs) make sure that you don't spend time with them. That's the first answer. But there are so many of those, Andrew. Yeah, But the second answer would be to simply say, stay in your authenticity and to ask a question. Why do you feel the need to take advantage of my vulnerability? Or why do you feel the need to bully me when I'm trying to be vulnerable? Mm. So it's it's inviting them again into a different conversation. But to be honest with you, Lara, if, if somebody is intent on, and as you say, there are a lot of people like that, the thing to do is just to avoid, Mm. either to avoid them or to not be vulnerable around them. You've heard me say to you many times before, you know, choose who you're vulnerable with very carefully. Choose who you 
share your inner world with very carefully. It's not about some people when they go into therapy for the first time or they start the inner work, they rush out and they share their inner world, which is very precious yeah. and and uh, very vulnerable with the wrong people. That's mm. not a good idea. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I um, I was just trying so often to speak to uh, the children about this way of just feeling that they can be themselves without being judged according to society norms. So, for example, let's say that you go through a period where you're not where you would like to be financially or you are not where you think you are successful enough or worthy enough or it's all compared to society norms, right? Because we can be very, you know, useful or can have amazing values and be as important for that as the richest man in the world. But our society doesn't see it this way. I guess it's just while I'm wanting to ask you the question, it's bringing me back to learn to love myself and just be comfortable with who I am and where I am at this present moment. And that reminds me of very often I used to speak with you about somebody in my life that I used to find very irritating and very hypocritical with the way they were acting in life. And the only time where I started not being obsessed or stopped seeing this hypocrisy is when you pointed out that the only reason why I'm so obsessed with it is because I am denying this in myself. Like it was so important for me to be seen as authentic that I was obsessed with her hypocrisy. And it took me time. But when I realized that it's actually, again, coming back to rejecting something, this rejection, this non-acceptance of this thing, I don't know how to call it, this hypocrisy being actually part of my human beingness, the same as hers. It's only a choice. I choose not to use it. And she chooses for some reason or they choose to use it. And and hypocrisy is just another word for inauthenticity. And, you know, I had exactly the same experience as you, Lara, which I've shared with you. I won't go through yeah. the whole story. But but as we've said before, it's really important to understand this, that if we want to see ourselves as authentic, if we want to pretend we're authentic, then there's no place for hypocrisy or inauthenticity. So we split off from that within ourselves. And if we look for it, we genuinely don't find it because we've buried it. And then we project it onto someone else. Now, what's important to understand the person we projected onto does display hypocrisy or inauthenticity. That's why it's so convincing. There's no point in projecting it onto Mother Teresa or to, you know, the Mm, Pope. mm, mm, mm. So, you know, what people do when you talk to them about this, they say, but she is hypocritical. I said, we're not saying she's not. Of course, we've chosen someone appropriate. I just want to say two other things, if I may. So you raised the question of children. Mm. And again, I think it's worth emphasising this distinction between inner awareness or inner experience and outer expression. So children are naturally 
much more authentic than adults. So children will be playing, they'll then have a tantrum, they'll then be raging, they'll then be crying. All of that is incredibly authentic. Mm -hmm. But if a small child wants to hit another child or if a small child wants to scream at another child or if a small child, you know, I remember my children biting each other when they were little, that's not appropriate. We're not giving people permission. We're not giving children to say, okay, it's okay for a child to have rage. It's okay for a child to be angry. In my book, and I know adults find this very uncomfortable, but if you're in a supermarket and a child has a tantrum, parents are profoundly uncomfortable and often smack a child or whatever. But I mean, it's fine for a child to have a tantrum, but not to inflict harm or you could say that a, a very serious tantrum is is inflicting something on other shoppers but I mean basically all children a lot of adults have yeah. tantrums yeah. and it's fine I'm aware of my tantrum energy but I try not to inflict that on other people yeah I understand now the other thing I wanted to just talk a little bit about because I think it's helpful, albeit controversial, is let's just consider politics for a moment. Because one of the things that I think has happened over the last 20, 30 years or so, and politics and politicians have an all-time low in their rating. I think one of the reasons is that 20, 30 years ago, politicians moved away from authenticity And they adopted a way of being, of sort of testing public opinion and then saying what they thought people wanted to hear. So before every major speech, you would have control groups and the back office would go out and they would find out what are the popular opinions. And in America, for example, they found that if you gave a speech and you referred to the word God several times, people were much more receptive to that. So people, you know. Now, I think that people, voters, ordinary people, know that politicians are becoming less and less authentic. It's very difficult for politicians to speak their truth now. And that's why, in my opinion, you know, Donald Trump got elected in North America for the first time because people were fed up with the inauthenticity Mm. of politicians and they they kept their powder dry and then voted for someone who they perceived as authentic. He didn't cover up the fact that he was a bit of a buffoon or this or that or whatever. And, you know, I know that's controversial, but he was more authentically who he was. In the same way... We can extend this out to we're living at a time of unbelievable political correctness. And if you think about for a moment, if you consider and reflect upon the phenomenology of political correctness, political correctness is saying that you sign up to the prevailing view, whether you believe it or not. So it's asking you to be inauthentic. It's asking you to go along with... A, a stream of thought yeah. or other people's views rather than be true to yourself. Mm. So that is why there will eventually be a backlash to political correctness. And there already is in some areas yeah. that, because it is devoid of authenticity. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. 
I have another idea that just came to me that was very helpful to me. It's exactly like the moment where I got that part of why am I so obsessed with hypocrisy. And I want to share this other one as well because it helped me so much is when, let's say you go through a period where you feel a lot of people are stealing from you or being dishonest with you or trying to hide money from you or through any kind of truth. And when I reported that to you, you always ask me the question to sit quietly and try to remember or try to think, where am I being dishonest in my life? And I know it's very difficult initially because we tend to immediately jump onto me. You know, never, I'm not dishonest. I don't I don't do these things, but sometimes it can be in a different way than this person is doing it to you. For example, I might be having, I don't know, 10 sessions of yoga. I'm just saying, you know, things that completely may be a bad example, but it's important to understand. And I try to to not be fair to the yoga instructor by trying to make her reduce, I don't know, like a whole session off. And sometimes just being aware of that can shift, in my case anyway, when you when you brought it to the surface and to my awareness to try and think, where am I being myself? What I am suffering from others doing to me? Has, has been enough to shift something. Can yes. you talk a bit better? Because my wording are very hard, I feel, to... Well, I, I think he just talked about it beautifully and very eruditely. So I think it's profound what you're talking about, Laura. And I had a very powerful experience in my life a few years ago where somebody was attacking me personally yeah. and professionally. And my wife wanted to go to the police, actually, um, because it was quite serious. And I said, no, no, let's not do that. Let's sit down and look at the elements of what is going on with this person. And I identified three things. One is she was being dishonest. She was saying things that weren't true. Secondly, she was being manipulative, very manipulative. She was talking to friends of mine and et cetera, et cetera. Uh And thirdly, it was really clear that there was a huge amount of envy. She was very envious of Anna and our life together. And so what I did, I sat down with Anna because I knew she could be very helpful to me. And I looked at each of those things in turn and I tried to drag up as much of the dishonesty in myself as I could. And, and you know, that was a maybe a 40-minute process. And then, and then I dragged up as much manipulation as I could. You know, I can be very manipulative, uh, like like most human beings. And then I really went for the envy, because envy is incredibly powerful. And I did a little ritual where I took ownership or awareness of that, just as you've described, and I integrated it. I acknowledged that I was dishonest, I was manipulative, I was envious. What was fascinating is that person disappeared from my life that day. And about two weeks later, I found out by accident, although there's no accidents, I found out that on that same day, this person had latched on to someone else. So I had no, I didn't know this other person, but through a random conversation, this third party told me all about this other person that was having this horrific nightmare because this woman had latched onto him. And so 
this stuff works. Yeah. It, it works every time. And what we what we are programmed to do, what we are conditioned to do, and what has become habitual is to rather than to take ownership of it and integrate it to ourselves, we project it onto someone else. So we we blame, and, for example. That's what exactly. We are. And and what you've heard me say many times, Lara, and this is foolproof. This is the you know idiot's guide to authenticity. Yeah. If you want to be more authentic, anyone listening to this podcast, mm. if you want to be more authentic, sit down and just put on a bit of paper what are the three things that really irritate you, really piss you off about other people. Not not the just the sort of average things, but what are the things you would say I hate in other people? You know, I hate hypocrites. Yeah. Or I hate people who are manipulative. You know, just find three of them. That, yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah. very useful if you do it with a spouse. What are the three things about my yeah. spouse that really wind me up or piss me off? Mm. And then be willing to go through a three-week or three, week or three month process where you identify those three things yeah. in yourself. Yeah. And as you articulated very beautifully, the first reaction is, no, I don't have that. Mm. She does. Yeah. No, I don't have that either. But actually, the moment you're willing to... Take responsibility for those three energies in yourself. I can absolutely guarantee you that it won't irritate mm. you and other people. And it's funny, Andrew, because when I started practicing that, because obviously just saying it, I mean, you you said it once and I went home and you know, evaporate somehow. Then you say it again and I try to remember this time. No, actually... You have not practiced it, Lara. It's not because Andrew said it that it's done. You just have to practice it. Andrew can say it every day. You have to do it. So I would come home and just try to see where I am being, what's making me suffer. And I realized after a while that it was actually a defense mechanism. So somebody, for example, my one of my biggest thing is not being acknowledged. Okay, so... Oh, I'm doing all of this and he or she is not even looking at me, not even telling me, you know, that I've done it. And I start doing it to them. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, you know, I was starting, you know how you just laughed? When I realized, yeah. I started laughing like this. Yeah, I said, yeah. of course I'm in, entangled in this because I keep doing it to him. And he keeps doing it to me. I respond yeah. doing it to him. Yeah, and yeah. Andrew keeps saying, <laughs> look at where you're doing it. But all I'm focusing on in my head is, no, he's doing it. So I'm only defending myself. But defending myself doesn't mean you're not doing it. So I, I remember so... actually a, a similar example. Yeah. I remember running a group once with a dear friend of mine who I'd known for 15 years. And we were running this group and we did this exercise with 25 people in the group. Yeah. And I, I said to the co-facilitator, I said, why don't we do it for fun while we're waiting for them to do it? Yeah. So I wrote down three words. And when it came to sharing with the group, I wanted to change one of the words. <laughs> I can't remember what the other two is, but one of the words on my paper was grandiosity. And I thought, no, no, I can't be grandiose, you know. Yeah. They all, I want to see myself as humble and all this. And it was amazing that I even wanted to change it in talking to her. And so I sort of made myself 
share that story. And of course I'm grandiose. I've got a big expensive car. I've got expensive work. I love grandiosity. So, you know, it's so funny to see how the mind works and what we really want to hide from other people. And there's one other thing I just want to cover that came into my mind then, if I may. Yeah, please. one of the things that we all have, Lara, in terms of being in this life mm. is we have roles. So for me, I have a role as a man. Yeah. I have a role as a husband. I have a role as a lover, as a father, as a business, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. And we all have these multiple roles. And the role is an image of who I am. It's not who I actually am. And... We can't avoid that. And one of the things I've, I've always said, the bigger the gap between the role and the, the truth, the, the reality, the bigger the problem. And if you think of the, the Greek myth of Narcissus, we, we live in a very narcissistic society and people yeah. probably overuse that word yeah, now. But nonetheless, North America, West, it's very, very narcissistic. So... The society runs on image, particularly with Instagram and all of this. Mm. So the tragedy of Narcissus is he fell in love with the image and he didn't love himself. A narcissist doesn't love themselves. Now, in exactly the same way, what I want to share is that if if you or I are a waiter Mm -hmm. and we deliver food to tables and we clear away plates and everything, I'm in a role of being a waiter but I absolutely know that that's not who I am. Or if, if whatever my role is, if, I, if I, you know, I'm in a role of, of a businessman, where it becomes dangerous and unhelpful is when I identify with a role and I think, but that's who I am. Okay, okay. Because then there's, there's no distinction between the role and the authenticity of being who I actually am. So there is a role and there is your calling in life. And what well, you- I, I wouldn't even say that. I would say there is a calling in life, but we have multiple roles which we cannot avoid. So, for example, I, when my children were young and I was had responsibility for them and I'm playing with them and I'm preoccupied with something else, I'm on a phone or someone would walk into the room and I'd go into being a, a perfect daddy and playing yeah, with them. Yeah. And, and that was inauthentic. That was a role yeah. that I was playing. Now... If I convince myself that that's what's going on, then I'm uh, getting further and further away from authenticity and into inauthenticity. But if I sit there and say, I know that I'm pretending and I'm just in a role and that's not who I am, then actually there's more authenticity in that. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the awareness. It's the it's because it's really is important for me to understand exactly when you said if there is a gap, the bigger the gap between your the, the role you're playing and who you are. Right. This is the one I just want to understand a tiny bit more. So, for example, you could be a, you are a dad, you are a businessman, you are a teacher, you are all of this. Okay, yeah. and what you're saying is some of them are less who you want to be? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm saying some of them pretend. It's a little bit like an actor or actress that goes on the stage. We, We start playing a part. Yeah. So I might play the part of a gentle man or a compassionate man. Yeah. And I keep 
demonstrating to people that I'm compassionate. But it's it's a kind of role or an image that I'm pretending to be. It's not actually the reality of, of who I am. So authenticity is being aware of the truth of my being. And, you know, sometimes it's subtle. And so what I'm saying, Lara, is if we're aware of the inauthenticity, yeah. that's more authentic. Okay. It's, okay. When, it's when we're not aware of the inauthenticity that we, we've got a major problem, yeah? So, for example, when your daughter comes in the room and you are in the role of the father, if at that exact moment you don't necessarily want to play, just be aware of that inauthenticity. Correct. Okay. And yeah. it's important to say, because this is this teaching yeah. is sometimes misused or even abused, is there are many social settings where it's appropriate to have certain social protocol or whatever. Yeah. It's like, you know, if someone comes up to me and says, how are you? I try not to say fine. Mm-hmm. I try to give them the truth. Yeah. But nonetheless, an awful lot of small talk, interaction, social interaction is appropriate or necessary. But then you're aware of what's going on. Yeah. Or to give it, I remember that my daughter and my wife were very keen for my daughter to get into this school and we all had to go along for a day. And they sat me down the day beforehand and they gave me a little pep talk and a lecture. I got it quite quickly, but they insisted on going on. And what they were saying is they wanted to tell me which pair of trousers to wear, which jacket. And they said, look, we want you to go along as a proper father. And I thought, well, I don't know what a proper father is. I kind of got it. They said, we don't want you to go along as the mad, eccentric, bonkers person you are, which they love. They love that person around the the kitchen table. So I got it. And I went along and I was enrolled and I tried, I pretended to be a normal father. I did, by the way, I did get into a competitive argument with a father from Goldman Sachs. So that wasn't (laughs) quite on the plan. But the point is that I was aware that I was doing that for a particular reason and I was happy to do it. Yes, I understand. That's so funny. (laughs) I can picture you there. Yeah. (laughs) Not trying not to be the wizard for a few hours. I know. And children, as we all know, children, Daisy, used to get very anxious about what I would say at school or not say or how I would, you know, what I'd be wearing. And uh, not all children are like that, but a lot of children yeah. are embarrassed about, you know, dad dancing or whatever it is. Yeah. So it's just funny. It's yeah, it's yeah. it's one of those areas where sometimes we're willing to be inauthentic for a particular purpose, mm-hmm. you know? Fascinating. I just had an image of one of our talks here at Ennismore Gardens when somebody stood up and left because they were a bit triggered by, uh, you know, now that we talk about all of this, it just assimilates and all makes so much more sense than before. And this is the aim of this podcast is to repeat things so that it becomes, you know, part of your, your everyday responding to things and to life. And I would say, Lara, you know, people may or may not agree with this, but I think we're we're living at a time right now where there is a scarcity of authenticity in our world. You know, one of the things I'm often saying is if you live 
in North Korea or in Russia, you kind of know that what's on the television and the propaganda is is the party machine. Yeah. You kind of know that. Mm. But but if you live in England or or France or Germany or, or North America, there has been a tendency for people to believe what's on the news or to believe. And actually, there is the same propaganda or the same media bias that is going on all the time, serving different agendas. And it's very, very difficult to know. And social media, media, of course, takes this to a whole new level. There's somebody worked out recently, I, I thought it was quite funny that somebody, it, it was somebody at university that was doing this for their degree. Yeah. And, and they spent six months trawling on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. Yeah. And they collected all the Einstein quotes that people had posted on social media. Mm-hmm. They had thousands of them, a lot of overlap, but they, they found that something like 32% were actually true to, to Einstein and 68% Einstein had never said. So yeah. it's like, you know. <laughs> He's not here to say he no, didn't. But, <laughs> but this is, this applies to everything. We tend to read something and we think, oh, that's wonderful, yeah, you know, yeah. and we attribute it to someone or something. And a lot of the time it's just, it's made up or it's it's not true. Yeah. And I just want to add one last thing also from experience is sometimes being authentic doesn't just mean uh, being able to talk of your weaknesses. It's also being able to freely and proudly talk about your successes. Like if you're proud of something you've done, some people just always try to be fake modest, you know, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I haven't done anything. Oh, no, so no, can I ask yeah. you a question? Yeah. When was the last time you said to someone in a social situation, I'm very intelligent and I'm full of wisdom? To be honest with you, Andrew, I don't I don't feel I'm very intelligent yet. I just, I did say yesterday, actually, I think I'm very wise. I did yeah, say it, for the first time, thank you for asking this question because... You made me realize now just by asking me that I am not at the place I was at all because I did speak about wisdom. And and what's interesting is there's a lot of people I could produce, 40, 50 people that would agree with me that you have a lot of wisdom and you're very wise. And you not being able or not being willing to articulate that in public or with other people is inauthentic. Is it though, if I don't feel, if I truly don't feel intelligent, for example, like, you know, there is several form of intelligence. You're deluding yourself. Okay, I'm going to tell you an example. Okay, yesterday I went to see a play with a very brilliant couple, like very uh, intellectual, lovely, lovely people. And I know we, we, we connect on a different level. We don't connect on, on the intellectual part of our lives, we connect on different levels. They're both equally amazing and kind, intellectual, etc. Et okay. The play we went to see was political. So I have somebody here at home that's lovely, very smart, intelligent young man who just, I just called him panicked. I said, Frederick, you really have to talk to me about this play and tell me because I don't have the... The background, I don't have the knowledge that, so we're going to go watch a play. If they're going to talk about something, ask a question, I want to be able to participate 
proudly, you know, to the conversation. It doesn't mean that I honestly and authentically admitted that to Frederick because it was the truth. But when I talk about intelligence, maybe we should call it something else. It's the lack of of knowledge or what's the other word? Like, you know, some people read a lot. So of course, they'll know more about things than me in a, in a particular subject. That's what I mean. Okay, so let me just comment on that briefly. Hopefully it might be helpful to others. So first of all, in my experience, intelligent is not correlated with knowledge. Intelligence Mm. is something very, very different. Secondly, and more importantly, in that example, you're equating wisdom with information about politics, and I don't think wisdom has anything to do with information, and you're equating wisdom with information about knowledge or history or something. So for me, one of the wisest people that has ever lived and hero of mine was Socrates. And Socrates, the political elite, he didn't know anything about politics. And he had real wisdom. And eventually they put him to death for Hmm. undermining the political stability or the minds of the young. So the error is uh, equating wisdom in a very narrow, very inappropriate way. And that is something we do. What you do is you adopt other people's narrative, other people's definition, and then judge yourself by that. And that is something we all do. That's what makes you so different too. So in generally in society, I'm sorry, you have to I mean, you don't have to, but I think you'll agree, Andrew, that intelligence is often measured according to the knowledge, the knowledge you, you expose that you know. And uh, yeah, this form of just success and how much money you make, how much you know, who do you know? I don't know. The, the often different the, mo- the most intelligent people are the ones that refuse to debate and argue about trivia and just walk yeah. away. That's intelligence. Yeah. You know, yeah. like... <laughs> if only more people were, you know, at that level. But it's okay. As you said, everything is exactly what should be. And it's it's maybe perfect that we have this kind of person who measure intelligence this way because it can also show us that something else we want for our lives yeah and we're all works of progress we're all moving in the same direction yes so i authentically thank you very much (laughs) i'm very very grateful and i look forward to speaking to you next time for the last episode for now anyway that will be called the power greater than ourselves. And that just saying the sentence makes me feel very peaceful. Yeah. And we're going to discuss why. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you, Laura. That was really enjoyable. Thank you so much. Thank you very much all for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe to the Deeper Eye podcast, where I will be receiving guests every two weeks to talk about a different topic that hopefully will be very useful to you. And thank you so much for joining. The next episode I'll be recording will be still with Andrew Wallace. Very lucky to have him back for episode five of What Do We Want Our Children To Know? And the episode will be The Power Greater Than Ourselves. Looking forward to that. Thank you very much for listening.